0: Tell me what
1: your name, your age, and your occupation oh is, and how we know each other. My name. <laughs> oh my god! I after, after six hours. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> my name. <laughs> my name is. My name is. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you, oh, you fuck never fuck. get my name out of me, you bastard. Yes, yes, think you get it. All this time you thought I was Ricky, it's part of my evil plan. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, God, I feel I feel like we've been up like all night. And this is like, you know, four o'clock in the morning. And you're like, what the fuck is my name? I can't remember. I know I had it when I moved in here. <laughs> all right. All right, my name is Richard Bear.
0: Dickie Maxson here again, and this is episode two of Maxie's Taxi, the second half of the Ricky Bear interview. So let's take care of the disclaimer business and get that out of the way. Remember, these interviews are not meant for young ears or possibly the overly sensitive. There is profanity, and adult subjects are discussed, and I really mean for listeners to take that warning seriously, because ultimately, this podcast is meant to enlighten and to uplift, and not to ruin anybody's day. Ricky was child number seven in a family with 11 kids. Let's listen to
1: him describe what that was like. Billy, Linda Boots, Mickey, Diane, Mark, Ricky, Kathy, April, David, and Dell. Billy, Linda, Boots, Mickey, Diane, Mark, Ricky, Kathy, April, David, and Dale. We're a loud family. And we it's not because my mother said, maybe it's because we're all a little hard of hearing. I said, Mom, no, we were always trying to be heard. And that's why we're loud. And my sister Diane always says, "Remember, we're not at home. We're not all together anymore." Because I still get loud, but I, that's how I've always been. My sister Linda very loud. My sister Dale. We don't. There's no such thing as a stage whisper to us because we're the one who goes. Does that lady realize her 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 pants her dress is eating her ass? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oops! She turns the like, Did I say that too loud? <laughs> I meant to whisper it. <laughs> People who are friends with my brothers and sisters, they all say if they had met us outside of there, they'd know that we were related because we're all so similar. My brother Mickey is the joker and his friends. He's the one who tells stories. My sister Diane is the talker and her friends who tells funny stories. My sister Linda and I were we were both we were identical. We could talk each other under the table. We couldn't. We could talk all night. And my sister Dale is the well. She's the big talker. My sister Dale and I can have a hundred mile an hour conversation. The reason I think I talk so much and fast is because when I was younger, to get my voice heard, I had to talk and get it out. And I always feel like I still to this day, and it's something I work on, that I feel like I'm not being heard. People just hear, don't hear all my words. So I have, I quick try to get them all out, and so I don't have to. Do, I don't like to leave anything unsaid, um, and that's why. And that's why I talk. It's not that I crave attention. Even when there was a hundred things going around, I heard everything. I used to be like a recorder. I can remember my mother used to say it was amazing. I'd be doing my homework and everybody there's somebody who'd be watching TV, somebody who'd have the radio on in the kitchen, and somebody watching the TV would be like, What happened? And I'd say, I'd be doing my homework, doing middle math, and I'd be like, Well the the butler just said he found the murder weapon under the carpet. And my mother'd say my mother'd say, Are you what you're not you're supposed to be doing your homework? I'm like, I am doing my homework. And my, my so my sister said, one day I, it was after one of these episodes my sister said, "Ma, he was doing it so he was in the middle of working on something complicated. He wasn't watching TV I don't know how he saw I don't know was he did it is it a repeat They all thought it was a, a circus trick I did there would be a hundred things going on around me and I knew what I was aware of what was happening and I used to play dumb I used to pretend I didn't hear a thing when I was little real little I used to sit and stare at the TV and my mother said they thought maybe I did something was wrong with me." But I would I would zone everybody out, and I really was listening to everything that was going on. But that was because I just hate. And there was so much shit going, just a lot of noise. Like I say something when I when I say something, and people laugh. Sometimes I'm like, I'll laugh along with you. But I'm like. I didn't say that to make you laugh. I thought that was, that's the way, I, you know, that's the way I talk. And I, I get that from Grandma Kitty. She was very humorous and she always used humorous expressions. And I never take them in myself and say, oh, let me talk like Grandma Kitty and be funny. I just talk and I use those expressions. I'll see you all of a sudden. Meaning because you don't know when you say goodbye to somebody. You don't know when you're going to see him again. I never say goodbye. Now, I don't, very rarely do I say goodbye to somebody. Um, I say, you're slow as creeping Jesus. My grandmother always said that, and there's a follow-up to that: is you're slow as creeping Jesus, drop the cross one more time, and you're out of the parade. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. My grandmother, church churchgoer, said that had, that was the whole saying. I say how you douching, just like Doris Calicio, Big Doris used to say. You probably don't even remember that Big Doris. She was a, a, a old barmaid from the Twin Lights um, Tavern.
0: She say how you douche How you
1: douching, and it, you had to answer same solution. <laughs> She would. Uh, and no, and I, I say, I still say, it. and we had that old, an old gentleman who lived on Gravelly, and we called him Look Alive. And I still say, I walk into a place and I yell, Look Alive, Look Alive, when I see a bunch of us to, uh, people just going through the motions. He, used to he said, Look Alive. He'd say it in the morning and in the afternoon. That was his thing. We called him Pete Look Alive Douds. He lived on Gravelly. He was a summer person. In fact, his son or his, his um, son's wife, Mrs. Douds, taught in Highlands Elementary. Diane Douds. I never felt like I was a poor kid growing up in Highlands. I can remember saying to my mother, when my mother would say, we were poor. I didn't know that. And she said, they'd have clothing clothing exchanges. Her and all the mothers who had big families. Mrs. Sadorsky, Mrs. um, Mm -hmm. O'Great. Oh, what was their names? It was the Gilsons. Mm Mrs. Sidorsky and my mother and Mrs. Patak, sometimes we'd get some of their stuff, but they'd all get together with all the clothes before school started and help make sure everybody had a uniform and the girls had winter coats. It was a clothing swap. And I remember my mother saying, if you see, I remember I saw Mrs. Sidorsky wearing my old, my last year's winter coat on the playground. And I went home and I cried and my mother said, you, it's very important you don't ever say that was your coat. It's her coat now. You have a coat. Just be happy you have a coat. But that's when I learned we were giving, we were sharing, and I thought it was because they were poor, not us. <laughs> I didn't realize. Oh, poor Debbie has to wear my old coat. And
0: you're wearing somebody else's old coat.
1: But I didn't know that. I I was a new to <laughs> me, and I remember I thought I was so cool because, like in fourth grade, I got there was a green blazer. OLPH was it was there was it was a uniform blazer, but we didn't have to wear. But it was like an option. It was from it was from Johnny Mayers. It was his blazer, but I guess he outgrew it. But it fit me perfectly. So for two years, I wore a green blazer every day. I was like Mr. Cool. Like most of the kids wore green sweaters, I had a blazer with an OLPH emblem on it. Right, right. I never thought we were poor. No,
0: but my question is, did you ever know that it was his blazer?
1: Yeah, I think so. But I, but I thought it was, I was just lucky. You know what I mean? I didn't. I never. So I didn't, it didn't bother you. No, not at all. It was my blazer by then. But it was also I didn't get many many of the hand me down the swap clothes. I didn't get because I was a fat kid. And so I was it was a it was a big deal for me that there was something that fit just me. Yeah, it was Johnny Mayers. He was yeah, eighth was like, grade and I got his old blazer because I was only fourth grade, but it fit me. <laughs> <laughs> oh I didn't tell you that. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you that part. <laughs> I was the fat A bear, remember? You know But you know what? And I didn't know. My mother said there were times she didn't eat dinner. I never noticed she didn't eat. I said, Oh my, I feel terrible and I was the kid always looking for seconds. And my favorite meal, my very favorite meal my mother made was roast beef gravy and bread and my mother said that was the fourth night's dinner when we we, all, we didn't have any meat we just had gravy and bread I loved it I, I would be like hell I I would be so psyched when I'd see roast beef for dinner because I'd be like I know a couple nights later we'll have bread gravy. and gravy oh my god I would eat the, I couldn't she didn't have to give me roast beef and, there, and I never realized it never was I looked down at the plate and said we're poor My father got me Disney books for for my birthday or Christmas, or I always got books from my dad, and I I'm a voracious reader, so I read Sword and Stone. I read all the classics to everybody. He said he knew I was bright and he wanted to encourage that. He told me that when I was older, my father. But my father, for your birthday, my for your birthday, my father always would buy you a present from him. It wasn't from my mother. It was a present he decided, and my father would buy spectacular, really nice gifts because it was the one thing that came from him. He would buy it in the city. He would but sometimes he didn't get it right. Like one year he bought me a magic kit. I could do I learned all the magic tricks, but believe me, it wasn't something I really wanted. But because my mother used to say, you were the best person to buy a gift for because you'd be like, oh my God, I get so excited and I'd have to psych myself and I'd say, All right, this is what I got. So you gotta, you know She said, Christmas, you were the best one. Everybody wanted pictures of you going, oh. Look, socks. Oh, I got two of them. Oh, my God. There's left one and a right <laughs> one. I was, but I've I've always, my grandma Kitty told me, be thankful for everything you get. And so I was. What? And I mean, my parents sometimes got, I mean, for uh, when you're in a big family, do you know what I got What my big presents? And I remember I used to lie to kids in school about Christmas. I got, I always got for Christmas School shoes, because my mother couldn't afford to buy me shoes by in September. So by December, she had saved enough money to get me my my shoes for school. So I wore the year before is up until until Christmas. I got new uniform pants on Christmas. They were a Christmas present. Then I got socks and underwear. We only had certain space to put our stuff—a cubby hole. I I was mine was underneath the china cabinet. There was one side door, a little door underneath, and that little spot underneath. That's where I could keep all my personal, anything I wanted. my, But if it didn't fit in there, it was everybody's. <laughs> Diane was always my other mother. Now, we all had, it wasn't like there was, a, there were, we weren't given assignments. But Diane was always, always took care. From the time I was little, I can remember if I was out somewhere or doing stuff, I was with Diane and her girlfriends because Diane took care of me. Maybe she liked me. I was just the right age. It was her, I was like a live baby doll for her. My growing up, April was my kid. I would get up in the morning when she, if she cried as a baby, I'd get up, give her a bottle, change her, put her in bed with me until 6.30 when I had to get up for school and I'd, wait, I'd bring her into my mother only when I was finish, all ready for school. Up until that point, April was my kid. I mean, I really did take care of her and April and I are very close that way. Diane has always been my other mother. I used to say I have six other mothers, but Diane was the only one who I'd listen to. Uh, you know, if if I Dimes came to donuts, Diane was the one I listened to because... She was my other mother. I can remember when I was younger and I'd have a scrape. Diane, I can remember Diane kissing it and putting a Band-Aid on it. I don't, my mother did it occasionally, but Diane was the my maiden. She was the one who, I remember with her girlfriends, they used to play music and sing, sing into the mashed potato, the potato masher. I used to, they let me do it. They, they taught me how to dance, Diane and her girlfriends. One thing I failed to mention was how Highlands, Highlands made sure all the kids in Highlands got Christmas. I believe it was Mr. Johnson or Miss Emily Johnson's father, I think. There were several men in Highlands that worked for Mattel. They worked in the Mattel factory. I don't even know where it was. But all the gifts that Santa gave out from the firehouse were from Mattel back then. My father played Santa then. Um, Bebo Rugg's mother has a picture of my father giving Bebo something. But all the presents that came, they and they were. We're talking all the kids in Highlands. Every kid in Highlands that, that lived there got a toy. They made sure they got toys for everyone. Mattel must have given them a shitload of toys. All the girls got Barbies. All the Barbie stuff. Santa in front of the firehouse gave kids some Highlands kids that was their Christmas. We were lucky. We had my parents also supplemented. But most of our toys came from. The Firehound with the, with the Mattel toys. I only know that because I had a G.I. Joe, which I loved and I cherished, but Santa didn't know that G.I. Joe doesn't fit into Ken's clothes, so I got a lot of Ken stuff one year. And I'm thinking, what the hell? I get this Ken's shooting, what is this big? G.I. Joe had a normal, big-ass, G.I. Joe was a 14-inch doll, or 15-inch action doll. He wasn't a Barbie-sized doll.
0: <laughs> Over the course of his life, Ricky played Santa Claus hundreds of times for thousands of people. He came by his love of Santa, starting with his vivid childhood memories of the Highlands Firehouse Santa. And then it was his dad, Bill, who would really mentor him in the ways of the
1: jolly old elf.
0: So your father played Santa, and then is that how you ended up playing Santa? Well,
1: my father had played Santa. Now, the, the, the Hebert, um santa connection is my father, um, flashback to my father worked in Brooklyn Navy Yard. This is before he became a police officer. He worked in the, um, he, he was a metal worker. So my father, it was getting close to Christmas, Mentioned how he had to be home for Christmas because he had a bunch of kids. So ladies who worked in the navy yard said, "Why?" They said, "Why don't we dress you up as Santa Claus?" My father's like, "I can't be Santa. I don't have a Santa suit." So they like got put together a suit. Ladies taught him how to put makeup on. They dressed him in a suit, and he did Santa Christmas Eve until early Christmas morning. My mother said she was so pissed off at him by the time Christmas morning came, she wanted to kill him, because he all, once he put the suit on, he never wanted to get out of it, and he visited everybody in the world. If they saw Santa and wanted to see him, he'd go to their house. In Highlands? Over? No, this is in Brooklyn, oh, in Flatbush. Okay. My father went all over. My mother said, my, your father would disappear Christmas Eve, because he started doing it every year. He'd, it would be two o'clock in the afternoon, or he'd get, oh, he'd get off of work whenever put the suit on well wherever he didn't even dress at home because there were a bunch of kids he probably dressed at my grandmother's which was downstairs and he'd get that suit on and my mother wouldn't see him till sun up christmas morning and once my brothers and sisters realized it was my my older brothers and sisters got the idea it might be daddy he put he put a friend in the costume just for the visit to our house and my father didn't have friends his friends were mostly drinkers so my and my father was very demanding there are things I do when I put the Santa suit on that I've never told anybody except somebody I put the suit on because there it's an, it's. My father was not the nicest thing. he beat me a lot. But when he was Santa, he was a good guy. And I always felt if I only oh he could have been like that when he was not in a Santa suit, and I would have had a different life. and believe me, my father was a good father, but my father's a bastard to me. and I, after years of, of um, therapy and my father no. and my father um, my father trying to make up for being his idea of being a good father to me, he delivered me. My father delivered me. I was born at home. He felt super responsible for me and he thought being super responsible for me, he wanted me to be perfect. And to make me perfect, his idea of making somebody perfect was riding their ass, telling them that they, they were a piece of shit. You know, he loved me so much, he wanted me to be perfect. And when I finally explained to him that that wasn't the way you show love, or not to me anyway, I was. my mother used to say, well, you would have been much easier if you had cried or you had given in to him. I was a stubborn child and I God gave me a brain. If, so... If the, I, the sky is blue and my father said it was red, I would not say, oh, yes, sir, it's blue just because you said so. I'd say, it's, it's not red, it's blue. Don't you, you got two pairs of eyes, it's blue. And my mother said, hey, of course you'd start them off. I said, it didn't matter whether I agreed with him or not, he'd smack me.
0: Later that day, as we were in a van headed towards Highlands for Timmy Hill's retirement banquet, Ricky wanted to record more audio as we drove down Highway 36. I suggested we wait until later when we could record in a quiet room, but he was insistent. All
1: right, well, hey, you gotta, now hold this, okay. about like this. All right. What you say okay, you? the most important thing I want everybody to know about my dad is he gave me Santa Claus. My father had very specific ideas about who Santa was and what you represent once you put on the suit. Santa is love. Santa never speaks a word that's gonna hurt somebody. You always encourage people. And if you want to say somebody is naughty, make sure it's for a specific reason. Number one, fighting with your brothers or sisters. Number two, not brushing your teeth or not or not picking up your dirty laundry. You don't do anything, don't ever chastise a child about something that's serious that a parent should be taking care of. Santa's main objective is to let children know they are loved, and they are being watched, and Santa loves everybody, and Santa is nice to everybody, even though at times he has to be stern, and it's very important that children never know that Santa is not Santa Claus. He didn't want anybody to know that he was Santa Claus. It's Santa comes to us because the Bear family requested us, and that's the story of it. Right, so, and, and, you know, I think I said that. And right, why is it say. important
0: for you to get that on the record?
1: Well, because my father, he had his bad points. But being Santa Claus is my life. And he gave me that. And other Somebody else could have asked me years later to become Santa Claus, to be a Santa Claus. And I could have acted being a Santa Claus. But you don't understand, when I when I put on the suit, I'm not acting. I'm doing what my father trained me to do. I know other people have talked about, oh, they know the perfect Santa. They're real bearded Santas. No, my father knew there were certain nuances and things that my father taught me. I watched my father, as a teenager, put on the suit. And I can still tell you, there was magic that happened because my father was transformed. Oh, oh! He transformed, and not just by a suit and a beard, but his whole demeanor changed. And I think it was God's grace coming down on him. That's what I know it is now. But as a teenager, I thought I watched my father become Santa Claus. And I'm not talking about, you know, there was some bright light. He changed in front of my eyes, and when I closed my eyes and looked at him in the suit and he talked to me, I was no longer. I still believe. I said. I believe in Santa Claus so strongly that the day that I stop believing in Santa is the day I die. Did he ever formally teach you anything? Yes, he taught me lots of things about Santa. My father insisted that we do not smoke for 24 hours before Christmas Eve. You were not allowed to smoke. You were not allowed to sit anywhere near a smoker or be anywhere near because Santa should never smell of tobacco products. I follow that rule to this day. My father insisted, now I don't follow this rule because I have trouble with sugar. My father insisted you chew at least 25 pieces of bazooka bubblegum before you even start your Christmas runs. You didn't have to put them all at once. My brother Mark tried to make a show of putting 20, 10 in each cheek. I didn't try that. But my father wanted that because he believed that if Santa smelt his breath smelt of anything, it would smell of sugar. My Santa doesn't smell like bazooka bubblegum anymore. The Santa that I, that I contact, he smells like cherry lifesavers.
0: <laughs> Even though Ricky grew up just a few blocks away in our tiny hamlet of Highlands, I never met him until my sophomore year in high school. And since Henry Hudson High School was so small, we had a lot of the same teachers. If you knew Ricky, you'll know most of the teachers he's talking about who aided and abetted in forming all of us at Henry Hudson.
1: Linda, Boots, Mickey, and Diane, they all went to Henry Hudson. Linda and Boots went to Henry Hudson the first year it was open. They were still, there were still lights, hang, wires hanging in. So that was, um, 60, I want to say 64, 63 or 64. I remember seeing the, uh, Mr. Swanton, Swanton was, i Sweeney was the librarian, a bald-headed man. I just remember because I used to pour over their, their yearbooks, um, Miss Linsmeyer was the nurse, school nurse then. A lot of the teachers were still there. Teachers, were, you probably don't remember, but were still there. I think Miss um, Gomery was a the teacher there then. She, um, Hap Hurley, Mr. Hurley came from Atlanta, Connors, high, high School. He had been a teacher. He was a heavy man, believe it or not. Um, Mr. Gorman was there. I know Mr. Gorman from OLPH as a Catholic. I don't know him as a teacher. Very, very sweet man. Mr., and Mr. Bulger. Do you remember Mr. Bulger, who's... The Keensburg School's named after him. What about Mrs. Keeler? Mrs. Keeler and I were best buds. I didn't get to know her till my senior my my junior year transferring to Henry Hudson, but Miss Keeler knew that I was a writer, and she encouraged that. And um Mrs. Keeler taught me that no matter what anybody says, believe in yourself. and she she meant it. and she said, "You're quirky, you're crazy." So that's you. You own it, and she did. And she and she was a stickler for for grammar, and I am too. But I was raised. I was t- taught grammar by nuns, and yet so you have to be a, a grammar police. Grammar police. She also told me not to not to worry about certain teachers because I had trouble with a with an English teacher who didn't like me because I, of course, I was. I've always been a straight A student. I would. I started bringing my papers to Miss Keeler. I'd make two copies of each thing I turn in. And let her mark it, and then let Miss Keeler mark it. And I always got the higher mark, which was Miss Keeler's. She stopped grading me. She would just give me A's. She never even read my papers because twice I turned to papers that had horrible things said about her in the middle of them, and she never even noticed. She handed me the paper back with an A on the top.
0: No, were you testing her?
1: Of course. I had taken uh, most of the stuff at Hudson. By the time I got to Hudson. Anything they taught, I had already read. So Miss, when I had Miss Jones' junior year, she would call me at home at night and we'd discuss what I hadn't had so maybe she could make the lesson more interesting to me because it was boring as hell. I, I learned more from her than I – as a teacher, she was not real good at keeping order in her classroom, but I will tell you, as a teacher, I learned more from her than I did – and I, I mean my whole schooling. Miss Jones was a very smart woman. If any, if I used to say to her, want to scream to her classes, if you would just shut up and listen to her, because she was so bright. My sister Boots had her as a student teacher. So what
0: are you saying? She husband, was she was a student teacher. Yes,
1: yeah, she came to Henry Hudson as a student teacher. My sister Boots had her. She was Miss um oh, Dottie, Dottie B, Dottie Barshak. While she was teaching, went around and collected all the books that they used for that class and dumped them one by one out the window. Threw them out one by one with her screaming, Don't stop, please. Every any and any book that wasn't tied down, she was running around holding on to because he started with the you know the encyclopedias or whatever, just testing her. And she, she, and I guess she didn't call anybody to help. Took all the books and threw them out the, the classroom window, at second floor. Sure. That's actually, all Henry Hudson shit. And this is old stuff because I've only heard it from my sister Boots. Boots and I live together, so I know all the old stories from her because she talked, you know, she talked about her growing up. Any other good old Hudson stories? Okay, I have good Hudson stories. Miss Linsmeyer, who was the school nurse. Miss Linsmeyer would give you a cold compress for no matter what was wrong with you. If you came in with a knife stuck in your forehead, she'd give you a cold compress that the, that the future nurses of America would have... Do you remember them? They would always... The, the gauze in plastic. They gave you that for everything. <laughs> I went to the nurse's office, and I had... um been hit in the face during dodgeball. So I couldn't see my eyes were burning. I, they were stinging. I just wanted somebody maybe some solution to wash out my eyes. Cause they hurt. And she gave me cold compresses and they hurt. I'm saying, I can't, I couldn't even see her. And I'm, I'm, I was let in there of somebody. And I let, I, what happened was for dodgeball, if you got hit in the face and you stayed in the game, the other person was out. So I stayed in the game blind because, damn it, we were going to win. I think we did win. <laughs> you remember that, isn't it? If you got hit in the head, if you got hit in the face and you stayed in the game, the, the other person was out, yeah. oh, the great. person who hit you. Well, that's how – they were our rules. So I stayed like this. Everybody go right, left. Because I would – believe it or not, I was always the last person left. They'd think, oh, Ricky Avery, you can't play sports. I could dodge people. I was, I was, was. My mother was good at throwing a shoe. um let's see um how about john rogers and pete lardieri they had wonderful they had a wonderful rapport john rogers and pete lardieri were i guess they were both in the math department so they they had lots of jokes between them every year for a new student they'd send a new stu- a student a new freshman the tennis ball refuzzer <laughs> that's what they'd ask for They'd say, go to Mr. Lardieri, would send them to John Rogers and say some, usually some cute girl and say, tell Mr. Rogers, I need the tennis ball refuzzer. So the girl would go. So for years and Don Rogers would send her back and saying, there's no such thing. Right. And the girl would be embarrassed. She'd say, he says, there isn't one. So anyway, and vice versa, that's what their big joke was. But unbeknownst to them, I guess, um, Spencer's or one of those they made a thing called a tennis ball refuzzer. you used to take the you took the tennis ball and you'd scrunch it around and it would make it more fuzzy, so you, you got more life out of your tennis ball anyway, so one of the girls who they had done this to in freshman year bought one of them I can't remember I want to say Joanne Lunny, which maybe she was just the smart one who remembered it, but they waited till they had they had somebody watching Mr. Lardieri's class waiting for him to send his first bimbo out, so they sent. So she had bought two of the refuzzers. The so what they did was, when she walked in, she walked into Mr. Rogers and said, Mr. Lordeary said, here's the tennis ball refuser," And then Mr. Lordeary was like, what the fuck? <laughs> there is such a thing. And the other girl, when she went to, because what they do, they would, like, eighth period, whatever the period, the idea was, first period, you send one, I'll send one. But the other girl came and she said to Mr. Lordeary, Mr. Rogers said, here's the tennis ball refuser you wanted. And they were both would saying, "What the fuck?" So they finally had the tables turned on them. John cool. Rogers was my brother, Bob, brother-in-law Bob's best friend. So I knew John. Oh my God, John, John, John would come to the house, and he'd he'd pose to show off his muscles. And my sisters would all laugh because they never thought he his body was weird shaped. You know, he was maybe muscle bound, but he wasn't like the kind of muscle bound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was like muscle bound like. If barrel I, Yeah, Barrel chested, but still muscle-bound. He was a good football player, I understand. Oh, he and he was a – you know what? He had a good sense of humor. Him and Bob had – they were like Mutt and Jeff to watch them together. Yeah. They could play off each other. They had lived together. They were like best friends. But I, I, I love John Rogers. John Rogers was a, a friend before he was a teacher to me. Same with Elaine Morrison. I knew her as a friend hanging around our house. And a wonderful teacher, a very good teacher, She student taught in our, cl- in our class. So when she was being evaluated, it was my idea that anybody who knew the right answer to raise their right hand. And if you didn't know the answer, raise it the left hand. So it looked like the whole class is paying attention. And I, and I winked at Elaine. I was like, we'll get you a job. We'll get you hired. Because she was, I guess she was. So you, the
0: whole class was in on it? Yeah, I
1: told the class beforehand. She was our student teacher. Elaine was my friend. I wanted her to get the job. She's a brilliant woman. I like, to this day, whenever I see her, I always tell Elaine, I wish, had I been a little older and she had a little, I would have married her in a heartbeat. I loved Elaine. She was one of my crushes. But her sister Donna was even better. But my brother Mark went out with Donna. So she was, we never went out with each other's girlfriends. We respected each other that way. Now, my brother Mark asked me if he could go out with Mary Jane Doyle, but I wouldn't let him. For our final
0: chapter, here are a few final words from my friend Ricky Hebert. Anything about Highlands mm-hmm.
1: that you think would
0: be a good anecdote?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I could talk, uh, we, there's so many things that we could talk about. Like when the Bowling Alley burned down, um, about when Careless Navigate when Wazis became Careless Navigator. Because you know, it was the cheaters, it was made to be a cheaters bar. It, well, the key used to get all the cheaters... All the business for the people who were cheating on each other. If you went into the careless navigator, it had like church pews as its as its seating. They were so high that you could be sitting there. The you, nobody knew who was in the booth next to them. You could be sitting with your your girlfriend, and behind you, the couple was your wife and her boyfriend, and you never knew it because you didn't hear. And they had really dim lights. So I know people who wait. The waitresses who were my my girlfriend cooked there, but she wasn't a waitress. They were cheaters. It was the cheaters bar, and the key in Seabright used to have people who liked to che- run around on their pa- their parents, on their um, on their spouses. Lo- their spouses or loved ones. They would go to the key, but the careless navigator figured they they get some of that business, and he did. Um, oh, Miss Cameron, Miss Cameron, she had uh, she had story time at, at uh, at Borough Hall. She used to let. That's when I, I, I started reading. She let me instead of reading books to kids. She let me be. I used to bring my favorite books and read to everybody. And it was in the Highlands courthouse. We were yeah. we would sit at the ju- and that's where she. We didn't even because the library was too small to have story hour. I'd read sitting at the table. I guess the judge. I mean it was it was the courtroom, but back. But at that point we were using it as story for place for story hour.
0: Now you remember that Ricky was very close to his grandma Elsie. She comforted him and imparted wisdom as he grew up. And he talked about her often and lovingly, even if sometimes it was in an irreverent and somewhat bawdy manner.
1: Grandma Elsie spank, spank, would smack Grandpa Phil if he would it up. He loved. He was the, the world's, he's the first chubby chaser I know. Because my grandma Elsie was quite a huge woman. And my, I I their wedding picture looks like Dolly Dimples married Mister Peanut. i um, and I'm not I'm being I'm not being. Um, she was huge. She was a very fat woman. Who's Dolly
0: Dimples? Dolly Dimples? Oh, she was
1: a, the fat lady of the circus.
0: Okay.
1: And my my their wedding when um, when when they had their anniversary, we had their wedding photo blown up. I had it for years, but it was it was not a good copy, so it faded. It looked like the fat lady in the circus got married. My grandfather weighed about ninety pounds soaking wet, and she was four hundred pound woman. Her last name was Dotes. And my grandpa Phil used to come now I heard this from my a friend of my grandma, Elsie's. He would st- he was trying to court her and he would stand downstairs in the in the yard and sing up the window to her Elsie doats and dozy doats and little lambsy divy and my grandmother would hide behind the lace curtain and peek out at him and go
0: because
1: <laughs> she thought it was funny that this little guy liked her yeah. and he did he, Grandpa loved her Grandpa loved her till the day she died. Well, I mean, to the day he died, he he loved Grandma Elsie, and Grandma Elsie loved him, too. They they were, you know, you say every pot has a lid? They definitely had a lid. I mean, that was, but they were a strange-looking couple. I only knew Grandma Elsie, I never knew she was a big woman until I was, like, in college, and I'm sitting up with my Uncle Jack saying, God, I'm, I'm on my, like, 18,000th diet. I'm so sick of counting calories. And my grandmother said, eh, didn't bother me. When I was, when I was just out of school, I used to take, she was a sec, She was an operator for the phone company. She said, I take my paycheck and um, spent, go to the sweet shop and put one cheek on one stool and one cheek on the other stool and buy an order an ice cream sundae. So I said, ha-ha, grandma, real funny. One cheek on one stool. One she said, oh, no, I was a big girl. She also didn't have a hair under her arm. Not one hair. She used to say, I don't shave. And she'd show, I don't have very, I have very little. Well, she yeah, she used to say she didn't have to shave. And then, <laughs> unfortunately... We have Christmas photos where we found out the $64,000 question whether Grandma had hair down there. She was sitting in the kitchen chair like this with her dress up like this. And it was inadvertently, Bob and Diane were sitting with the family on the couch and behind them was Grandma Elsie, flesh everybody. everybody. <laughs> She's sitting in the background in the kitchen, not I'm totally unaware. But it just so happens where they were sitting on the couch, Grandma's directly behind the two of them like this, holding the kids. And Grandma's like this with her... She had her house dress on, <laughs> but but nobody else in the family ever knew it. And Diane used to say it had to be my family because, of course, it's a picture. It was a it was the holiday photo of her, Bob, and the kids then kids. So of course we, everybody wanted the the, the, <laughs> the negative to blow up, <laughs> but Diane couldn't have hers blown up because the people in the photo mat would say, oh my God, you got this is you didn't want a picture of the family. You wanted to see Grandma? It's grand. It's like pornography. <laughs> All right, Rick. all right. So probably Wednesday is Tim Tim Hill's retirement dinner. I'm I'll be in Highlands. Okay. For the whole day of Wednesday, probably early because I'm trying to get people to sign.
0: Are you not working Wednesday at all?
1: Uh, not at all. I have the day off because I'm going to Tim's retirement dinner. Okay. at Seven o'clock at City. Right. Okay. But what do you call? Call me and maybe we'll do this tomorrow. Or I mean, you're leaving. When are you leaving? You tell. I'm leaving
0: Thursday. You. T- when is your schedule?
1: I see. In between. Allowed? In between. Saint Mark's and Shopper. Well, wait. What's today? 2... Tomorrow's,
0: Tomorrow's
1: about t- St. Mark, you don't forget about that. Oh, you kid? I Mar- Mark's. No, kidding? I love St. Mark. i No, I said. You know, St. Mark's has been like a godsend to me. I'm, and somebody suggested it to me a while ago. I'm sorry I didn't go and at least investigate it. Oh my God, they they need help, and also you just feel so much better when you're helping somebody. I leave there and I say, I, my shitty job at Shoprite is even better. I'm so blessed. I like. I don't. I can. I can take. I can take on anybody. They can walk all over me if they want. They don't know like people and people treat you like shit at the shop, right? They they I'm like I'm cutting you, I'm cutting your food and they treat me like I'm like so insignificant and so unimportant. Yeah, well, and I said to somebody one day when they said, "Oh, you're just a meat cutter." I said, "I am the best meat cutter you'll ever meet. I make I cut the best bologna you'll ever eat." I'm I'm really a private person. I'm shy. I don't like when I go on stage. People go, "Oh, you can't be shy. You go on stage." I even when I go out to work. I put on a persona, I, I have it in my mind that I'm going to be that person, because it's not really me saying it's the guy who works at ShopRite, you know, I don't think, uh, because if I, you ask me, alright, when, when, I, when I talk about me, or I, like I'm just me, Yeah, I'm really quiet and I don't want, I, I don't share much, that's why I write, I write down my, my feelings, how I really feel, because I can't, I can't say them out loud after my after my wife died it was it was hard downsizing but i had my daughter but we managed you know we had smaller places things they're just things and things don't matter to me anymore i'm rich in spirit and as long as my spirit's rich i don't need you know for other people i god bless you you have what you you know you make you that's your thing my thing is as long as i'm happy and i'm very happy and I'm, I'm probably at the happiest i've ever been with the exception of when i was happy when my wife was alive and my daughter had just been born i, I would say that this is uh, but i'm happier every day i really am and i like i feel like i don't have to i, I don't i'm not trying i'm not faking it saying because for a long time i was i think i faked it you know just fake your happy because every i thought everybody faked it but i honestly am happy and i only and i'm i've reached a point in my life where if i if i'm if doing something makes me unhappy, I don't do it anymore. My grandma Kitty used to say, "If you're not happy doing something, don't do it." Right. And so, I mean, I have a job, and I mean, who, you know, if you have your druthers, you actually, I would still work because hard work makes me happy. I was, uh, I've always been a poor working slob, and I'm going to die a, a poor working slob because I like that.
0: So, and you think mm-hmm. minimal being a minimalist
1: or minimizing or downsizing or however you want to say it,
0: that's part of being happy?
1: Yes, I think because when you're not concerned about things. You know, really, what you think? Think, take, be more more worried about yourself. And I, I see, I, I, I put others first, but that's just me. And I'm not trying to preach, you know, communism. Like share everything you have with others. No, some people call it communism. I just I feel better about myself when I give. That that's just me. And um, I I would I would as a kid I'd be the person who'd give away all his money because somebody else, you know, I heard somebody else needed it. But I now what I can do, I, I mean, I'm not stupid. I don't give everything I own away, but I, I would share whatever I have. And it makes, just makes me feel good. So that's it for Episode 2. Thank
0: you so much for listening to Maxi's Taxi, interviews of people you probably never heard of. Special thanks to Ricky Hebert for his friendship and enthusiasm in making this interview. I really miss him. I really miss his laughter, and I really, really miss his spirit.
1: Velvet, I can wish you for the collar of your coat and fortune smiling all along your way. But more I cannot wish you than to wish you find your love, your own true love. This stay standing there? gazing at you full of the bloom of youth standing there gazing at you with a sheep's eye and the licorice tooth and the strong arms to carry you